What if you had app.net but made it even more difficult to get started? <laughs> now, how much would you pay? <laughs> So hey everybody, welcome to episode 209 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Alrighty. Okay, so uh, we have no Ask MTJC. We established that, right, Jaime? Yeah, I don't think there was anything that I saw on the interwebs for us. No, other than my rants about Beyond Burger being sold out. All right. Um, so we have a couple of fact check things. Um, I just wanted to follow up on what I said last week. Our, again, we've, I think we probably had this fact check a couple of times now. August 6, 2014 was our first recording. And I was surprised to find that we actually did a recording less than seven days uh, shortly after there. The second pu- was published on Tuesday, August 12th, which was my birthday. But um, So that was like a mere six days. So we didn't get quite into our cadence of once a week you know, recording and then uh, publishing around Saturday or Sunday. If, if Saturday can't be pulled together. So that's our fact check for last week's episode with Mark and myself. All right. So um, so our follow-up, we start off with, uh, so we were talking about Greg's talk um, last week, Mark and I, at the um, Swift Language User Group, or SLUG, uh, down in, in San, San Francisco. And um, it was basically called Hashing, Hashable, and Hash Values. And, and what Greg likes to do is he likes to take uh, certain principles um, out of, you know, whatever, uh, in the, usually in Swift, so something, you know, in the standard library or whatever to talk about it. And so he, in the talk here in the video, which you can watch yourself, um, he talks about uh, using hashing to do comparisons between different values. And he talks about what hashing actually is, which is kind of cool, sort of explaining that, you know, hashing is converting something into, converting a set of collections or whatever into some sort of number and then comparing the number that's resulting from the hash. And also talks about when um, hashes don't equal each each other doesn't necessarily mean that they don't contain the two things that you're comparing aren't the same. It's kind of it kind of works that if they are equal, then the yes they do match. But if they're not, if they don't match, they're not really. Um, you can't really. It doesn't mean that they're not equal. Is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, he explains it very well, much better than I just did. But uh, yeah, I definitely recommend if you're curious about hashing and why we use it. You know, in comparing things together in computer science, it's a good little uh, talk there to sort of get you grounded in what the, the various things mean. So. And uh, I don't know if you guys didn't watch it, but um, does that make sense what I was talking about hashing to you guys? Yep. You computer science nerd guys guys over there? Makes sense. All right. So, and um, the next follow-up is uh, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about uh, HipChat and Slack and how Slack had bought HipChat. And we were, we were comparing, I think what we were comparing two companies, um, Slack and there was another one. But um, is it Slack or, or Alatsin? We were comparing Alatsin. Alatsin sort of is the one that hasn't used any any sort of um, A funding or what do you call it, um, VC funding to, to build up their, their company. They kind of sort of did it organically, I guess. Um, but Slack here, uh, there's an article posted in TechCrunch confirming that they had, in fact, raised $427 million um, in invest in VC capital, I guess, uh, to give their... And they have a valuation of $7.1 billion in terms of its their value. So quite a good uh, company making uh, making waves out there. So have you guys looked at this article at all? I haven't looked at the article, but yeah, that's a, that's a lot of funding. It's... Uh, I want wonder how they're going to justify that seven billion dollar uh, valuation. Yeah. Do we know if they're if they're profitable? I mean, I don't think they they don't have ads, 
but I guess they sell uh, subscriptions to companies. Yeah, they sell to, to teams and uh, large teams and um, enterprises, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can do so much. You can do a certain amount with for free, which is kind of nice. But uh, yeah, I think when people get serious about it, uh, they, they invest in it. And there's some big companies that are on, as we were looking at enterprise, the enterprise side, there's like PayPal and IBM and some of the major banks here in Canada use them as well. So and I'm sure there are plenty of companies in the States that use them as well. I think I think when you're at an enterprise level, you basically, you need to have like, you know, thousands of, of licenses, maybe hundreds or thousands, you know, so it's worthwhile to pay for the for the bandwidth, right? Yeah, still, still a pretty high uh, valuation. So we'll see what they do with it. Yeah. So what do you, what do you mean by, so what, what do you mean by that? Like 7.1 billion, that's what they're, they're supposedly worth if, if, like if they were to go public or something like that? Yeah. And of course they're not public. So this is just an arbitrary number that, speculation, that yeah. was decided upon by the investment bankers who, who invested in them. But uh, yeah, but that's, that's the basic idea is that the company is worth that much money on the open market, uh, which is interesting. Uh, so typically for a, for a company that's public, uh, you know, the, the price to sales ratio, which is basically the, the, um, the total valuation divided by the amount of revenue that they make. So amount of sales is, you know, maybe 10 X typically. So this would be implying that, that they could sustain said where they have uh, roughly $700 million worth of revenue, which seems pretty high. I mean, it's possible, but it seems pretty high. Um, now for growth companies, early stage growth companies, often those, those ratios are way, way higher because people are investing in the, the future valuation as opposed to today's valuation. So you can get a much higher price to sales ratio. Uh, but um, yeah, it's pretty high valuation. Well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, like, you know, I think a lot of people use it. I think, you know, I've been using it since 2014, but I think we found out about it in 2013 or so, 2012, maybe. Um, that might be around when they started up, I guess. But I mean, like, like in the article here, it says that people like, and we talked about Facebook is kind of sort of doing their, their groups, um, work groups kind of thing. I forget what the actual name of it was. And I never did follow off to find that article I was talking about. But, um, and Microsoft apparently has a tool now. I think Jaime might have mentioned that a couple of weeks ago to try and take on this, this you know, what Slack is doing. And uh, as we know, we just gobbled up, which to me, I mean, there are a number of other tools like this, I think, but Slack and HipChat are the only two that I kind of know about that are around. And we now know that, you know, <laughs> HipChat's been gobbled up by Slack, right? So Yeah, this article mentions Microsoft Teams, um, which sort of makes the most sense. They also mention Facebook stuff, which I'm not aware of any serious market penetration that Facebook has had with their Facebook for Workplace or Workplace for Facebook. Yeah, I forget what like the, yeah. the branding is. Yeah, actually, I think I did put an article a couple of weeks ago, and we'll, we'll put link it in the show notes, of course. But um, yeah, I, I got because I, I got a notice about it. I was, I was poking around on Facebook one day, and I got this, hey, try out this workspace thing. And I went, no. Actually, yeah, no, I tweeted about it because I just sort of said, like, why would I, like, we, we already trust Facebook so so much now. Why would we give them all our work too, right? So I mean, that's good on, good on uh, Slack. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Maybe one day they'll go public and we can invest in them. Who knows? Um, you know. Real-time correction to myself. It is okay. Workplace by Facebook. Okay. By right. Facebook. Oh, so ah. I was pretty close to guessing what it was. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, because because the other tool I can think of is oh, because that ben, Basecamp. I don't know if it's comparable or not. That's more mm-hmm. like a like a project like a management Trello kind of thing, collaboration type thing. Like you you can do some real time stuff, but it's 
it always seemed like it was less about like instant messaging the way that Slack is. Right, right. Okay. All right. Uh, this other post here from me again. Uh, follow up here from um, uh, from our folks over at uh, Bloomberg. Mark German posted a video. They had a quick little interview with him um, talking about how it's been discovered, I guess, somehow that uh, Apple is planning a new low-cost MacBook. Uh, and that is to take the place of the MacBook Air in the line. So uh, presumably the, the, low, the, the low end would be the MacBook itself. And then we have the MacBook Pros. Um, and he was pointing out that people aren't really happy with the, the um, effort that Apple put out recently with their MacBook Pro line. Uh, he's also anticipating or he's predicting or, or he's found out about a Pro-focused Mac Mini. We have a lot of people have been talking about Mac Minis. And uh, again, because people, are, again, are not happy with the Mac Pro, MacBook Pro, should say, MacBook Pro, the MacBook Pro um, redo with the keyboard issues and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, people are, they're, you know, they're not quite as, you know, fabulous as, as people would anticipate they would be. Um, the, the, the Apple's going to come up with some sort of Mac Mini, I guess, to take on, to sort of give you a, a Pro device for your desktop. And, you know, you go off and find a monitor and whatever. And that's where it's coming from. And also he mentioned too, really in passing, Jaime, uh, edge-to-edge watch, an edge-to-edge screen on a watch. And I think we were talking about um, some screen assets that we had seen in, in, I think, the iOS 12 SDK. Somebody had, I think it was um, Rambo, our buddy Rambo, had discovered some images in there. I think it was him, right? Um, was that really and, the watch? I think it was us talking about the iPad at well, that point. Well, no, I was talking about the one where we had, we, there was like a sort of a, an aspect ratio for an iPhone 10 and then uh, size, you know, same size as iPhone 10 and a slightly larger one with a notch. But there was also that square asset that I said looked more like a watch to me, you know, with a, with a very short, be- with a very narrow bezel. I mean, that? yeah, but I mean, an iPad would kind of look like that too, I think, was something we had said. Um, it was square, though, is what I'm saying. And to me, square made more sense on a watch, right? Sure, but yeah. the button that was on the side looked like it was the sleep-wake button for an iPad versus true. Um, oh, yes, the, the true, crown yes. for a, a watch. Unless it was, again, we don't we don't really know like exactly how those icons are going to be represented, so maybe... maybe they come in with an iPad micro. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> an iPad Business on your wrist. card size iPad. But independently of that, I have heard rumors that there are that there are new watches coming that will have a thinner bezel. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Like I said, he just he just mentioned it in passing, like as as he was sort of summing up his talk, right? Mm-hmm. No details, nothing was disclosed in that in that sense. But interesting. All right, and then so in the next follow up here, Mark has one on um, two spaces. Yeah, so this is this is just a quick one. Uh, we had a discussion a few weeks back about uh, whether it's better to have one space after a period or two spaces after a period. And you know, in the old days, we always used to do used to do two, but I guess in the modern day of, of word processors, you only use one. Well, right. I found an article here, uh, which, now, take it with a grain of salt. I haven't actually read the full article, but the, there's a link to the abstract, uh, because it's a it's a journal article that I don't have access to. Uh, the article is called, Are Two Spaces Better Than One? The Effect of Spacing Following Periods and Commas During Reading. And according to the abstract, they did a, the, it, it, it's the, uh, the most recent edition of the American Psychological Association Manual, uh, stating states that two spaces should follow the punctuation at the end of a sentence. And uh, there have been some studies that that uh, show that those who use two spaces following a period showed the greatest overall facilitation from reading with two spaces. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't talk about this last time we talk, this subject came up and we were talking about typesetting in general, but in typesetting, there's a, there's a terminology called color where um, if, you, if you look at a full page of text and you kind of squint at it, right? 
if there's a lot of gaps between the letters or between the words and stuff like that, um, that can affect its readability. And you'll see that a lot in, in cases like newspapers where like you'll have justified on both sides, which is their standard format. And if you see, like, if you can see like pattern, like your eye will get distracted by patterns of white space as they like zebra stripe down the page kind of thing. Right. And so that's one of the things that people do when they're, when they're setting up um, justification and, and uh, spacing between words. And I would think that because, because in, in modern typesetting, you know, using, you know, the just justification on both sides, you know, the spacing between the words will vary as you go across the page based on the length of the words and the number of characters in a particular sentence right before it wraps, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think in the case of, we were talking though, like in, in the reason why I believe that, or I had sort of understood that we used two spaces was, you know, back in the day we had fixed character widths or fixed character sizes in typesetting because we had the single hammer, right? And each character would be like the same distance apart and two spaces at the end kind of made it visually, like a visual cue to you that that, that was the end of a, of a statement or... Did they put two spaces after a comma, Mark? No, one space after comma, two spaces after period. Yeah, yeah. And and, and maybe maybe because, you know, commas and, and uh, periods, if you're reading really quickly, probably look the same. But if you saw, if your brain saw the double space, you might might be a visual clue, cue to you without actually hitting your, you know, your frontal lobe to, that it's there, right? Just a sort of a funny sort of thing. Um, on a, on a, a sort of sidebar discussion, we were, uh, I was listening to um, Alan Cross on the... Uh, the ongoing history of new music this this afternoon, and he was talking about MP3s. He was actually talking about how the the brain works and how music um, in in the various parts of the brain that music affects, the amygdala and a few other places, cerebellum and one other thing I can't remember the name of. Um, they both they all fire off dopamines when you listen to music. You know that you that you enjoy, right? Sort of like and, and you know we all sort of seek dopamine firing off in our brains for various reasons. But he was talking about um, MP3s versus analog, and 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 somehow like. He was saying that you because of the because of the compression used in MP3s, especially at low bit rates, um, they don't quite fire as much. Or the, the I don't think there was any research into this, but they don't quite fire as much dopamine as if you're listening to an analog recording, where all of the you know all the bits and. Uh, stuff is there, you know, um, or like in a CD where you have a wave file, which is which is then compressed down to MP3 to throw it up online, right? But it was interesting that to, to sort of see like from, you know, I was talking about the spaces, you know, between sentences being sort of a visual cue that makes your brain happy to read, you know, um, or makes Mark's happy, brain happy to read. <laughs> but uh, but the same sort of idea that, you know, like, that we can somehow, without even cogn- being cognizant of it, tell the difference between an analog recording and an, and an MP3 based on the fact that not all the data is there, right? Because, you know, we're throwing away data to compress, right? Doesn't you, don't you find that interesting? I yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd have to see the study. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I'd buy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can listen to the to the episode of the of the, okay, yeah. of the podcast, right? Yep. So yep. pretty short. It was, he was talking about a lot, of, a lot of other things. But, yeah, it was interesting. And, of course, he was sort of saying that, you know, he could tell a difference because he's a music professional. He could tell a difference between a, a 256-bit rate and a 128-bit uh, rate. But, but then, but then he sort of follows it off by sort of saying, at least that's what I think. I think I can tell the difference, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which I I don't buy for a minute, you know. But but it's interesting, like you know how people some people feel that you know vinyl is is better, and you know because they're they're listening to the actual analog recording. Like there's there's no missing parts in the in the the audio audio stream, right? So and we're talking about some pretty base brain brain uh, processing here, right? You know, this is down in the EEPROM of your brain, right? 
Well, yeah, it's I would... more in your ears. <laughs> it's your brain that processes the sound, Mark. Yeah, but but can you do your do your ears have enough sensitivity to tell the difference? Yeah, I guess it depends on how much loud rock, loud rock music you listen to when you're a kid, right? Well, but even even kids with no, that's true. With... Actually, as you get older, your your ear starts to drop off certain tones as well. Yeah, right? yeah. So so the the range of human hearing is roughly twenty hertz to twenty kilohertz. Sure. Uh, for perfect hearing, and for a full grown adult, you know. It's probably you know cuts down to like ten or twelve kilohertz because you lose your high end. Yeah, and so a CD is sampled at forty four point one kilohertz, right. and there's a good reason for that because there's a there's something in electronics called the Nyquist frequency, which basically says the Nyquist theorem says that if you sample at a certain rate, then it can completely faithfully represent all frequencies up to half that rate. So mm-hmm. so when you sample at forty four point one kilohertz, that means you can faithfully reproduce down to 22.05 kilohertz, which is wider than the, the normal range of hearing for, for humans. Okay. So for a full-grown adult who's who's got a range down to like 10 or 12 kilohertz or, or worse even, uh, I, I kind of have trouble believing that they can hear the difference. Now, yeah, but I'm not talking about I'm not talking about whether you can hear the differences, whether your brain processes is what I'm talking about here, like the or what he's talking about in, in the case of an MP3 that's sampled. What I'm saying, like, so, so a CD is a wave file. Right. Yeah. Has, so an MP3 is a little more, different. An MP3 is compressed. So right. So and and, and they throw away bits that they don't need because they use a lot of averaging in the compression. Right. Sure. Sure. MP3 yeah. is a little bit more plausible. But but the you know the, the audio files will say oh they won't they want vinyl versus a CD. Mm-hmm. Well, if you can't hear the difference, your brain can't do anything different. Process it. Sure. Right. Sure. Well, that, but that but then but then there's also the other side of the argument too that that some audio that you that you um, perceive is also through your body. Right. But that's very low frequency stuff. Off. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll have to find the study for you then. Mark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there, there's a, um, there's a book he was he was recommending called "This Is Your Brain on Music." That maybe we'll have to look into that one and see what, see if that's where the right. where this information came from. Because he was talking about neuroscience and, and a bunch of other things as well. But anyway, we've digressed. But but that was still a fascinating conversation. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving away from the tab versus spaces kind of discussion. Um, all right, so we're into the main. T- oh, it's me again. Um, this is a quick one, I think. This is from a post that I I don't know where I saw this actually. Um, it's kind of clickbaity that Apple got cored ninety gigabytes of secure files. Some high school student um, figured out how to download uh, a whole whack of files from Apple. Believe it or not, he ended up with ninety gigs over time. Um, just remember how he did this. Um, Was this the one who did this to try to impress? Apple to get a job there? Yes, I think so. And it's because it sort of says behind the story, the kid got caught with a 16-year-old trying to break into servers at Apple, which rightfully or not has a reputation for solid security. Yeah, because he was sort of, yeah, it sort of applied, he was applying for a job and they're like, hey, we I managed to hack your servers, so I must be good. You should hire me, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes, that's right. The teen's lawyer has the client had a motivation was infatuation with Apple. The boy did it because he was a fan of the company and hoped to work there someday. Yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, interesting. I guess this when the this happened recently, I guess, right? Um, the, the article was posted six days ago on um, Naked Security, Sophos.com, OAMPproject.org. Um, yeah, interesting story. Just uh, our, our sort of uh, our bent about people breaking into things and uh, or break things in. Yeah, so Australian kid. He was from Australia, I guess, right? Australia? Did they name the kid here? No, if he's that oh, age, Melbourne, yeah. I assume they have the same rules we do about uh, naming yes, minors right. and, uh, you know, that are involved in crimes or at least alleged to be involved 
involved in crimes. But listen to the hackers, though. We've talked about this many times before. So he, pr- he tried to use VPN, and he tried to use Tor and other tools to sort of mask where he was coming from. from. But I think what happened was it says here in the story that I think he, at one point, he uh, slipped up and, and did it in the open, and that's when Apple nailed him and found him. Yeah, they recorded the serial numbers of the MacBooks that launched the attacks. That's pretty stealthy, mm. if you think about it, right? So Apple, you know, Apple's watching you people. Um, yeah. The stealthiest so, thing here is um, the hacking software was found in a folder name, quote, hacky hack hack. <laughs> pro tip for you hackers out there, don't collect all your folder stuff <laughs> into something obvious. Name it like, you know, tax returns or something. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. I just I love the fact that Apple was able to find the serial number of them. Like not notwithstanding your IP addresses and all that kind of stuff, right? So the fact that they were able to, to tra- track them right down to, to, right down to the, the serial number of the device they made, right? So that's pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, and it goes back to, you know, I think we talked about this in like our, one of our first or second shows where we talked about that celeb, celeb gate, you know, three years or as of a year ago, the, the when the, the celebrities were all, uh, mm. they found all their stuff in iCloud. And, yeah, that was, you know, that was just a phishing scam, though. That wasn't actually a hack, right? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, they, they managed to get them to, to release their, their... I still get those those kind yeah, of emails yeah. all the time, right? So Yeah, but that is a good one. This article mentions it, too. And it's like, I understand why they do it, but it seems... Like it's on the verge of being unethical for them to bring it up because, as Mark mentioned, it, like it was a phishing sort of thing, right? It's it's like, oh man, can you believe this combination lock got broken into? Yeah, because he left the numbers all over the place and people were able to find them and use them, right? Like it's not as if, oh, holy smoke, somebody broke into the lock. It was the lock was doing exactly what it should do if you're not keeping the combination secret. Yeah, that's true. With your with your hockey tape with the uh, number written on the back of the the lock itself, because that never happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. It seems like it's meant to paint a particular narrative, but it's, I don't know. Um, I definitely do think that, you know, journalists should stay away from using that example and use, you know, real examples. Like the fact that iCloud um, is like not, uh, iCloud backups are not as protected as backups that are on, you know, like your Mac mini, for example, right? If you use the um, the encrypted backup to restore your device, I think that's a legitimate, um, you know, security problem. But um, the Celebgate one is, is juicy to talk about, but it's not an actual thing since it was wasn't a um, it wasn't a, a lapse in security for the security system itself. Sure, sure. Well, so when, since we're talking about this this iCloud stuff and what have you, the other day, as, as I think I told you guys on, on our own Slack, that um, conference I'm going to in a, in a, in a short while. Um, decided to use Google Photos for their for their um, their library, right? So, and I had I'd taken Google Photos app off my Mac or from my iPhone device a long time ago. And I, in fact, I don't, I don't even don't know if it just didn't get restored or what have you. But um, I wasn't very happy about it when it first came on on the scene because it automatically like it, if you if you click the sync button right off the right from the get go, it starts syncing your photos right off your phone. And I don't know about you guys, but I use my photo my camera on my phone not just to take selfies but also to take like if i take a, a page out of one of my notebooks i want to keep right i'll take a I'll take a picture if i'm looking at a serial number on a mac or an asset tag or something like that I'll, I'll take a picture with my phone or if i'm depositing a check in the bank and i forgot to scan it before i send it to my accountant you know i'll take a picture of the check before i put it in the bank machine but i don't want that on on the cloud i don't want that on google and i don't want it on apple either right so um the fact that google just automatically started you know slurping up the the con it's almost like the facebook contacts thing we talked about 
about it before, right? Just slurping up the images. And I think I reached out to you guys in Slack and said, how do I stop this thing, right? So, <laughs> And it's not very clear, like, where exactly, how you turn off the syncing. You have to dig through a couple of menus. That was the actual solution. But, um, yeah, I don't know. People, like, what do you think about it? Like, do you guys use your cameras for taking notes that way, too? Or do you just uh, do selfies and stuff? Yeah, I use it for all sorts of stuff. Yeah, not necessarily stuff you want to have out in the open, right? Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's somebody. here's a nap idea for somebody. I thought about this a few times, but I'm sure people have done this before. But that would be a uh, an app that basically could be password protected that would take photographs. I'm sure people have tried to do that in the past, now I think about it. But don't you think that would be a good uh, good uh, use of the tech, you know? Password protected to, protected to take the photo? No, no, to store the photo. I mean, so oh. maybe you want to take some photos that you don't want, you know, necessarily to go up to iCloud or what have you, right? I wonder if, wonder if you could do that because do all photo apps use the uh, photo library? No, they don't have to. Um, in fact, uh, an app I worked on years ago, the Relive app, the first first version yeah. of it, uh, we had our own photo store that was separate from the camera roll. You could export to your camera roll if you wanted to, but you didn't have to. Right. So you, had it, you could keep all these things separately and, and independently. And it, <coughs> and it was password protected. So maybe we were ahead of our time back then. Well, that's true. Yeah, I think we do that We do that with like a number of apps that I've built over years now. I think about it have, um, we'll, we'll take, what, what, I think it's the taking of the photo is what I'm talking about, right? Like, because um, you have to use the uh, the the camera SDK to take the picture, right? And do you, you do, but but you don't. It doesn't automatically go into the camera roll when you do that, right? Yeah, you can decide where it's going to go. Yeah. yeah, there's an app idea for you guys. Go nuts. <laughs> uh, make sure it works with one password. That's all I ask. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so we're um, so I'm going to shut up now and let Mark. I may talk about back to my Mac. Yes, Apple has uh, let folks know that macOS Mojave won't be supporting the back to my Mac feature. Um, and the other half of this is that people are rather upset that Apple is suggesting some pricier alternatives, such as their Apple Remote Desktop app, which apparently cost eighty dollars from the Mac App Store and only has a one point five star review rating, which is which is not terribly good. Um, before I go into sort of like you know how can people deal with this uh, in a better way than, than what Apple has suggested. Um, Tim, maybe you can tell us about your experience with Back to My Mac, because I, oh, I, I have all kinds of them. But before, before I get into that, I just want to say, so because I was an Apple consultant, I've always been using Apple Remote Desktop. And basically, it's a VNC client um, kind of tool. Um, and I, you can have, you can set it up with multiple uh, LANs. So if you're in, if you're like a, like a roaming nomad support person, you can actually have different LANs set up there. And, you know, I think I, if I look at my list of, of uh, um, IPs in the in my copy of um, Remote Desktop probably have about fifty or sixty different devices in there, and so with that you can actually observe what's going on on the machine. So you can watch people if they're trying to explain something to, you, or you can take over control. So it is kind of I'm, I'm, I don't understand the one point five star rating because it, it actually as it should be like a four or five if you're into that if you're into supporting people if you're into spying people as well. I know I've heard of people doing that before, but. Uh, um, and but the price is quite a bit cheaper than it used to be. I think it used to be like a three hundred and fifty dollar app. So the fact that it's come down to eighty dollars on the Mac app stores is still I mean it's still pricey. I think they're admittedly it's not designed for Joe consumer, it's designed for people who need to do support and, and uh that kind of stuff. So I used to use a remote desktop to manage my servers and stuff like that over VPN back in the day when I you know when, when I had Mac servers out in out in the wild. But sharing, you know, the sharing extension where you can do screen sharing, I think it's called in system 
different preferences, sharing. Hang on just one sec here. So yeah, so I think it was around, I want to say Tiger or maybe um, just before Lion, they added the ability to do screen sharing, which is the same facility. It's just, it uses almost the same tool. So I've been using screen sharing for that. Anyway, that's my story about remote desktop. But yeah, no, I've been using back to my Mac forever. I, I you know, think, you know, and it, it always worked better when you had a time machine. While you were gone, I mean, I was just telling Mark about some of the issues I have currently with my with back to my Mac. I haven't been able to get it to work since I updated my Bell router a while ago because I have, about a year and a half ago, I have two, so I'm double knotted, which basically means that I've got the Bell one and then I've got my time capsule sitting behind and I didn't bother turning off all the services and stuff like that. So um, I'm doing double knotting, which is not really a secure, it's a secure way of doing it, but it's kind of, it kind of breaks a lot of the automation that happens between routers and, and switches and hubs and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so my the one story I put on Twitter was that um, the very first time I went to WWC in 2010, um, I didn't realize that I needed to have my 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 iPhone backup because because I, I think there was there was an app or something that you needed to build or something like that and install onto your your device like the you know the WWC app or whatever I can't remember if it was through the App Store I think it was actually you had to download it somehow but you needed to have your your you needed to drag it over for, into iTunes and I didn't bring my I brought a backup Mac but I didn't bring my my backup data for my iPhone it was like a different Mac right. So I logged on to my computer at home in Toronto and, you know, got onto the screen and basically zipped up, went to the directory where, where your, your iPhone backup is, zipped it up, right? And then had it FTP to one of my servers so I could pick it up and uh, did that. Of course, you know, coming from my home machine, it was great. But on the hotel Wi-Fi, it was, it was like glacial speed, right? So I started to download and Carol and I went and checked out the city for like four or five hours because that's how long it took to download my, my backup. It was like 100 meg or something really small like that but um yeah and then i was able to continue on doing my work so i've used back to my mac and vnc and chicken in the vnc and screen sharing forever so um it's it's disappointing that that i can't you know leave my mac at home and, and jump back to it at any point in time you know so, so it's kind of a bummer that's gone i mean but that was that said i've i've used i've moved on to other tools that do the same thing right so what about you guys you ever use it i've never actually used it yeah i didn't even know it existed so really um, oh wow yeah it, it's like it's ancient technology it's it's been around for over 10 years maybe like maybe 15 years i don't know it's been a long time i think it might have actually been i don't know if i want to say it was on classic mac as well because yeah i mean i was doing that kind of stuff back then too uh it's been around for a long time it was it was kind of it was cool because it was like you know hey i could leave my computer at home and and so what would happen though with back to my mac is you would you would go to a client or something and you'd plug into their lan and i would see carol's computer at home for instance right so i could log onto her computer and then from her computer I could jump onto my home servers or whatever, right? So using screen sharing again, so you could you could sort of jump around, and it was just like any any time you went to a, a foreign LAN, <laughs> as it were, you uh, yeah you would see your your other ser- your other Macs would be would appear in your you know in the in the the, the sidebar of your Finder, right? And and you could connect to them, and, but it was it was spotty. I mean, like it sometimes it just didn't work at all, right? So and then I think when they when they, when iCloud sort of came into being, they kind of had it piggyback on iCloud, which made it a little bit more seamless, but yeah, I, I don't think it's a huge loss to be honest. 
with you. According to but, Wikipedia, and, and, it was introduced in Leopard. Leopard, okay, right, right. And it was one of the, it had to be one of the cats, right? But So Leopard was... 10.5. Sorry? 10.5 was Leopard. Oh, I thought it was Tiger. I guess 10.4 was Tiger. 10.13 now, so that was eight years ago. Yeah. So I vaguely remember, too, that... So the Time Capsule came out with, at the same time as as um, Tiger, which was 10.4, right? Because it, it also, the Time Capsule also played along with that, too, in terms of in terms of using Back to My Mac. Because it, it, the thing was, the thing about Back to My Mac, too, it also depended on your router, right? If you if you went to a third-party router like uh, like uh, Belkin or LinkedIn or D-Link, they, they didn't understand Back to My Mac at all. So if you had one of those as your as your main uh, home network, it, it very seldom worked. And and you would get an error saying, oh, go buy a new modem. That one doesn't work. Or it doesn't, it's not, doesn't support whatever proto, uh, protocol it was. And, of course, people are going to yell at their phones. But uh, and we'll follow up next week in terms of what that process, what that protocol was. But you had to. But it was cool. What you could also do things like you could open ports from one app to another and stuff like that. But the back to my Mac thing was pretty seamless technology. Like it, ju- it just worked. Like typical Apple stuff, right? I mean, when it worked, it just worked. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It wasn't foolproof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's. I mean, considering that it came free with the OS was was. Uh, I mean, that's the bonus, right? Um, but what other pr- pricey tools are these guys talking about? Oh, the other one is screens. You know that there's a tool from it's part of the um uh setup group you know the the tool the apps that we get through setup now that comes with a copy of screens as well but you can also buy screens separately and and uh so if you put screens on your mac you can use that to get back to your mac have you guys ever used like let me in or uh, there's a number of tools that uh were out there for um for being able to have like a server that would be open and open and transparent and would go to like a third-party server and you could get onto your devices have you guys ever used those things nope no? i haven't but i've worked at a shop that used screens uh, screens by adovia software yeah. in montreal so oh, they're from um, montreal oh well cool yeah or go canada the one dude <laughs> who i think is the entirety of adovia software uh, luke vandal what's it vandal? called luke vandal is oh, no, what's uh, the kind of the company adovia or edovia i'm not sure that's oh edovia nice. okay yeah i almost yeah, sounds like yeah. you're saying adobe and yeah. um if they they're taking full advantage of this and i wish them well because um the software normally costs uh 29.99 for mac os but if as it says here on their website if you're looking for a back to my Mac alternative, save 20% off for a limited Ooh. time using coupon code RIPBTMM in the <laughs> checkout. That's four bucks right there. That's Six hilarious. Bucks, right? Yeah. Six bucks because it was it's 30 bucks US. Yeah, there's another tool I was just looking, looking at. I think I deleted it off my Mac recently, but let's see if it's still here. It was a German company that used to use uh, software. But I said, but when I was in my consulting days as an IT guy, I would, uh, it was about, uh, I want to say, like a couple of hundred bucks to buy this tool. So, I mean, even at $80 from for back to my Mac, you're doing pretty good. Or not back to my Mac, for um, remote, Apple remote desktop, you're doing pretty good. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's too bad, but I, I think it's just, it's you know, it's probably, Apple's probably done the, the math on it to find it how many people are actually using it and there probably aren't that many yeah they're definitely cutting down on things that they don't consider core to the experience i mean i think if anything maybe it'll grow out of like the education market stuff that they're doing and some yeah lightweight mdm stuff that they're doing but i i don't know i don't know for sure yeah i mean i mean like yeah i think if you're if you're like if you're in an education market or something like that and, and you have to get onto your machines anyway you're probably going to have to have a remote desktop because it's just that much more convenient like you could have a list of uh of 
devices where, I mean, with back to my Mac, you always had to have, you know, sort of had to know the passwords to get back and forth and stuff like that. And it's meant for like, you know, consumer level support or remote desktop. It's, it's, it's robust enough to, man- to handle like multiple devices and that kind of stuff, right? Like you could do things like I could do things like this. Like if I wanted to get onto your Mac to do any maintenance on it, I could have like a, what they call a curtain mode, which basically would, I would close the desktop so you couldn't interact with your own computer and I could go in and do software updates or tweak, you know, things and then, you know, you know, open up the curtains and reveal to you your your machine again and fix whatever your whatever was ailing it, right? And you didn't have to get freaked out by me moving your mouse around and stuff like that, right? So very similar to what Mark and I were talking about doing when we did our pair programming with iChat, right? It was the same. I think it was piggybacking on the same kind of technologies, right? Mm-hmm. It will be missed. I mean, the, the curtain facility thing is is part of uh, Apple Remote Desktop. Just to be clear, yeah. And actually, how I so I saw the tweets about it online, and and um, um, so I found out about it when I when I saw the uh, the support document, which I have linked in here. Which the title of it is "Prepare for Changes to Back to My Mac," <laughs> which is their their uh, low level way of saying that they're taking it away from us. So and they changes such as being deleted from your machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's just not going to be available on Mac OS Mojave. So doesn't exist anymore. I suppose that's a change. Yeah. So they're suggesting you use iCloud Drive to to access files that you want to share, but then you have to you know be you have to put them on there before you need them, which is part of the part of the advantage of back to my Mac is you didn't have to know that you needed those until you until you needed them, right? So yeah, it sucks. Yeah. And they recommend their their own tool as well. No discount code though, folks. All right. So next one, Jaime, you got something about Facebook here? Yes. Speaking of other things that are going away, um, no. not Facebook itself. Don't don't get all excited there. Uh, Facebook is pulling its uh, VPN app that it had acquired from an Israeli company called Onavo or Onavo. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Oh, really? Is that going away? Huh. Yeah. Um, apparently uh, apparently it has been um, voluntarily pulled from the App Store, although the sorts of things it was doing in terms of collecting information about um, you know the user's device and what they're doing on the internet uh, was a big no-no according to the new App Store rules. So it was uh, claimed here that Apple put the pressure on them to be like, look, you got to remove this or we'll do it for you. Um, but either way, it's it's not on there anymore. Hmm. More, more of an FYI, and also a uh, be careful where you're getting your your VPN apps from. Well, but you know what? So I used to use Anavo when it first came when I first got my phone because you know back then we were on 3G and you know data cost a ton of money and whatever. So what Anavo used to do in the first incarnation of it was it would uh, I think it would compress or optimize the I think they used their servers to optimize or compress the data that was coming back and forth between your device and and the outside world. Right, so I, I guess yeah. So you're kind of like parking your data on a third-party server, but you know that was a that was a server service that was you know welcome back in back in those early days, right? Um, yeah, and I think we talked about this. We've talked about this product before. I think a couple of years ago, because I remember we talked about it. I think after after we talked about it on the show, I went in and deleted it off my devices, right? Because I had it on my device, I had it on Carol's devices, I had it on my iPads and stuff like that as well. Because for that same reason, I had, you know initially installed it to save on on data charges, right? Yeah. Um- not much else to say about it. It's uh, I believe it has gone from the App Store as of uh, this particular recording. Um, but yeah, again, you know, it, it seemed like it met a particular need for you, Tim. From what I'm hearing, it worked a little bit like Amazon's Silk browser for like the early editions of the Kindle Fire. 
want to say, where its web browser would sort of be browsing through Amazon itself and hypothetically would, uh, because, you know, they could heavily cache things across different, uh, not just, you know, different devices for you, but different users of like, oh, look, there's this ping on McDonald's.com. All right, well, no sense going all the way to McDonald's CDN. You can just get it from Amazon's. Uh, it sounds like Bonovo was giving you that sort of capability and presumably folks were also using it to, you know, access things that are outside of your jurisdiction, like YouTube videos, uh, SNL clips and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it wasn't that quite, it wasn't quite that kind of tool. It was more like, like it would give you a report on, like, you know how you have, now we have the report on how it, what apps are using your battery and how much, you know, energy they're using, that kind of stuff. It was something like that. It would tell you this, you know, Facebook was using blah, 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 you know, gigabytes or megabytes or of, of data. Um, and this is how much you, we saved you kind of thing, right? It wasn't, it didn't give you access to anything that you wouldn't normally be able to access. It wasn't like a hot spot, hot shield. I think it was one of the ones they used to use and, or uh, tunnel bear or that kind of thing, right? So, because even, even Charles Proxy is a VPN app, right? They use, they use a VPN technology to capture the logs on your iOS device, right? But it it's not, doesn't give you necessarily access to, to other places. It does stand for virtual private network, but, but that wasn't the purpose of it, right? It wasn't about watching Netflix or whatever you, <laughs> they didn't get that facility out of it anyway. Or maybe, maybe they did in later versions, but I never used it for that. So yeah, it's just a, it's just a way of installing a man in the middle to do, you know, certain things for you, right? Knowingly, right? But I guess, you know, any man in the middle is not a good man, a good thing to have, right? In retrospect. It's something to choose carefully, I think. Yeah, yeah. And that may be why Apple has decided to, to suggest that they remove it, right? Yeah, violation of store guidelines and data collection. Interesting. Gotta watch the data collection stuff. Yeah. All right. Are we there yet? I think Let's so. Pick Pickorama. Hey, let's go around the table like we usually do and talk about, do you have any picks? <laughs> Is that what I used to say? I forgot. Um, all right. So how many do you have a pick? I do. It's a Kickstarter that made its way to us. I, I think I actually saw it before somebody pointed it out to us um, online. I apologize. Oh, but give them the credit. Come on. <laughs> do you have that tweet handy? I don't I have do. that hang, tweet hang, handy hang, to do the I'll attribution. Pull I'll pull it up while you while you talk. Well, you know who you are while well, Tim's looking that up. Um, uh, some folks are creating this uh, iconic pillow collection, as they're calling it. And um, uh, although it, they never actually say Apple or Mac, if you look at the screenshots from the show notes for those of you driving at home, uh, they have the 1977 pillow, the 1984 pillow, the 1998 pillow, the 2001 pillow, and the 2000 pil- 2007 pillow. And if those dates sound familiar to you, that's because those are the release years for very interesting Apple devices. The, uh, what is this? The Apple II, the Mac, the iMac, the iPod, and the iPhone. And, uh, yeah, they looks like they're doing pretty good. They're actually above their $10,000 goal at, uh, as of this recording, wow. 54249 259 Um, they're not exactly cheap. You know, the cheapest pillow you can buy is one pillow for 39 bucks, or you can have all five of them for, I saw this somewhere, it's like 159 I think. Cool. All right. So the, the person who sent this to us was Bevan and Anderson, um, creator of AV Plan, EFB, whatever that is. He's a pilot, software developer, father, husband, dog, and cat owner. So let's look at this link here. Let's see what it's an AVP. Oh, AV Plan. Oh, so he a, creates a flight plan uh, app for uh, for pilots. That's interesting on iPad. Hmm. I wonder if my friend Jeff knows about this because he's been looking for an app like this for a while. Cool. Yeah, and I, I think I posted a picture of my old, uh, uh, my rack of old Macs. They're not quite as cuddly as these ones, right? Yeah, they, they look pretty good. I mean, they show them on the couch. They would definitely... 
make a statement if you have them in your, your living room. Yeah, they're um, kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to get only one, because oh, they're not exactly cheap, but 39 a pop, uh, which one would you get and why? Which one would I get? Hmm. I would probably go for the the original Mac. I would too. Yeah. I mean, the, the iMac's kind of cool, but you know, the Bondi, Bond, Bondi Blue, is it Bondi Blue or Bondi Blue? Bondi Blue, I guess, right? Um, somebody corrected us on the podcast. Yeah, I before. almost want to get the iPhone one, but it's uh, it's a little boring compared to the others. The Apple II's not bad too, though, right? Yeah. Yep. It's kind of, they're a bit closer about the Apple II, but... Uh, I wouldn't get the Apple II because in those days, I was on the uh, the other side. I was on the Atari Ooh. side, and the Apple II was the enemy in some sense. Interesting that they didn't do the uh, Apple, like the rainbow stripes in an Apple icon kind of shape. I guess they were well, concerned, they're about concerned about yeah, copyright infringement, probably. Huh. Yeah, but I think anybody would. It's got like the floppy slot and the grills on the side. Oh, cool. yeah, I think I would have gotten the iMac pillow. Um, largely because I really remember that design a lot, even though I didn't own one, but we did have them at the uh, school computer lab, so definitely used them a lot. The iMac one? Mm-hmm. Hmm. They should have made a yeah. cube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. It's like not, um, it's not all comprehensive, right? It's it's sort of like they're the largest products that came out. Yeah. Like they don't have a, a Lisa one, for example. That's true. Or G4, cheese grater one. Little Apple watch. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and Mark's right. Like the, the phone one would probably be more meaningful to me in terms of, you know, what do I actually do? What do I actually own? Um, but it's kind of, but, it's kind of dull compared to the rest. Yeah. Cause it's just a black rounded rectangle. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, you're just holding it wrong on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Carol has an, um, I haven't showed this to Carol yet, but she's an embroidery machine. She could probably do something like this too. Um, all right. Uh, my pick is kind of interesting. So, um, I don't know if you guys have ever, ever done this before, but like, so, so in, um, and this comes through via Joshua Green, one of the guys from the Ray Warner Lake group, uh, he tweeted about this, um, that he'd found, uh, an article by Oleg Begman, 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 Oleg Begman, that, uh, talks about how to, uh, use the text micros that are built in to iOS nine to create your own file headers. Um, one company I work at, we just remove them all together, but you know how, when you create a new file in Xcode and it puts the name of the, the, the file class itself, the name of the project created by, and usually your name, you know, the, the name of the person who's using the Mac and the, and a date of some type and then some sort of copyright. And uh, you can change this stuff yourself, you know, like uh, in, in your Xcode projects and stuff like that. But there's a, um, there's a P list in there called an IDE template macros P list that you can go in and, and uh, set up different, different, use the different properties to set up the, the header the way you want it to be, to, to appear. Right. So um, you can, you know, have the project name, .xcode, and, and uh, using other different data, project data, workspace data, workspace user, so on and so forth. And he's also in the in the article here that's linked in the show notes um, for uh, adapt, basically a plist that you can edit even in, in Xcode if you wanted, um, just using you know the, the built-in plist editor that they have there, ugly as it is. Um, but he's also got a link here in this article to all the text macros that are available in um, Xcode. So you know we've got date and you know file header, file name, full username. It goes on and on. And um, so he's listed off here what each one of these uh, parameters do. So if you're uh, always been curious about how this this header gets created or you want to make your own um, like for instance when, uh, the Ray Wonderlight group that I write for we always in our code um, we always put have, have to put a big legal dis- 
disclaimer at the top of it. Um, and, you know, we were copying and pasting them like an animal uh, before this, but now I guess we can set up these macros to do, or when we're building our tutorial material, we can build in the uh, the appropriate uh, copyrighted copy material. And also, if you look, if you ever get source code from Apple, you'll notice that they've got like a page and a half of a, of a disclaimer on top of their code, and you might get like four lines of code in the in the sample uh, class that you, or sample so file or whatever that you're using in your in their example. But so if you're ever curious about um, building out your own header, this is a great tool that you now have at your avail to do that. Comments? Cool stuff. Yeah, I didn't know that this is how people did that. I'd always wondered how people had customized one. Well, this is new in X... I think this is new in Xcode 9, but yeah, I think I think people might have been doing it, you know, under the covers before, right? Um, I know I've, I've like, you know, when I'm, when I'm working on a tutorial for Ray, I've gone in and changed my, my identity in Xcode, and it, it applies to everything I do at that point until I go back and change it later, you know? So it's kind of a pain, but... Or, or I would just copy and paste, you know, from uh, another file and commit that into the change and all that kind of stuff. But this is, you know, if you don't like the default template or default styling that comes out, you can customize and create your own. That's cool. Yeah, it looks like until now, this is, is he's saying that is uh, because of Xcode 9 now allows you to customize the file header and other so-called text macro- macros using a plist. So like other people, like, yeah, I think you've probably always been able to go in and, and find the, the chunk of code inside your Xcode um, it's file itself and like the actual application and get into the contents and tweak them. But this is now available to us to use. And this is as of July 20th, 2017. So it's been out there for a year, right? But that's my pick. Such as it is. Such as it is. There are always so many of these little tidbits about Xcode and, and how you do stuff. That feels like an evergreen topic to, to talk about. Well, you know, there's a tricks. book that just came out about that, Jaime. Tell me more, Tim. It's called Xcode Treasures, and it's by Chris Adamson on the Pragmatic Programmer, Pragmatic Press. What do, what do they call themselves? Um, yeah, and I think it's just... If it's, I think it's just about to be released. I think it's in beta seven or eight right now. But and so if you buy it now, you can get it at a discount price. And it's edited by our own co-host, sometimes co-host Tammy Coron. So yeah, go out there and get it, and that'll tell you all kinds of things about Xcode. I may or may not have read it. <laughs> okay, I read it, or what? What little there was of it already. So yeah, it looks pretty interesting. It's it's got covers off quite a few things about uh, about Xcode. Shall I tell you more? Sure. Or do you care? Let me see if I have my notes. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it covers app versioning talks about alternate views, talks about arbitrary objects, storyboard references in the library, de- all kinds of debugging insights, right? So, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, where would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at DevWithHair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at SmapSoft.com. All right. Again, as I say at the top of the show every time, my name is Timitra. I'm T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. I will be attending 360i Dev. So by the time this episode is published, I should be in Denver. And so if you're coming to 360i Dev, look me up, look Tammy up, and uh, we'll take a selfie with you. I might have some t-shirts with me and some stickers. So maybe you can get some of those from me. Until next time, we'll talk. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find out details on how to help us out on the website, mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Now stick around for the after show, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
So are you giving a talk at, at uh, 360 Idev? No, I'm not. They, they turned me down. Really? Turned me down. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And I was going to do a talk on neuroplasticity and, you know, how to, because I've been using those techniques that I've been, that I learned in writing that article about, you know, learning after 50. So I wanted to learn a few songs recently and, and I've been using the same processes like that I talked about a few weeks ago when I, when I covered it on the show where basically um, you do short um, sessions as opposed to just doing big, long marathon ones. And, and not cramming and, and yeah. um, you know do a little bit today and a little bit tomorrow and a little bit you know after that and and so like for one of the songs that we used to play in the band all the time was um, rock and roll by Led Zeppelin right and and it's it's sort of a it's a blues but it's a vamp right there's a there's a little uh, like a sort of a progression that they play yep. and um, uh, I used to know it and but then I but I was always singing so I would just I used to just play the straight chords right but the other guys in the band would all play it right and then um, and we used to actually we used to segue from Johnny Be Good into rock and roll, but uh, that's another story. But um, and I'd forgotten the progression, and and uh, so I started. I you know, found a I found one of the instructors that I that I like on the on YouTube, and he kind of walks through it really slowly. And so I, I basically just started practicing it, and you know, every couple of days, you know, first first day I kind of had it, and then of course, you know, like as I said before, that that's a chemical bond in your brain, um, and those can those get lost pretty quickly. Like you feel like you're making progress and stuff like that, but it's a chemical thing, and then so you have to come back at it you know the next day and try a little bit more and, and, again, and again day after day after day until it becomes a structure in your brain and then that's easy, that's why it's easier to remember over time and then uh, once you've got it figured out you then it becomes a behavior so like if I was playing with my band if we played the song with our the band every week it would become a behavior kind of thing right and then then I could just play it whenever I wanted kind of thing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so can we wait until the uh, smoke clears? Well, that's supposed to clear starting uh, tomorrow afternoon. Really? So we're getting this double, like triple whammy. Quadruple, maybe? There were fires coming from Canada. I'm starting so... the recording again, by the way. Are we? Yeah. Okay, let me, before I get snarky, <laughs> let me resume recording. Yeah, so the smoke and ash Canadians, right? clouding up the, the sky in Seattle. Yes, a whole bunch of it coming from Canada. So thank you to Canada for that. Um, uh, Oregon had some sort of fires. Washington State had its own fires in the um, yeah the Cascades, I think. And so, uh, California today, has had fires. They, they were saying today that it's like it's sort of the new normal for summer out there. I guess I guess the lightning starts the fires or something like that? Or Yeah, I guess so. It's just so dry. I mean, I understand why California, because they've had droughts since forever, but um, it seems right. like it's spreading to the Pacific Northwest as well yeah hmm. that's surprising because you guys are like a, almost a rainforest there right like you're that side of the rockies Where? right i mean the west side <laughs> yeah 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 I, probably the other side i mean we, we do get stuff like um like raspberries blueberries that sort of thing blackberries they, they just grow like weeds you, you, you don't even have to don't even have to water them because it's so moist here right oh yeah normally but is it dry now or been a pretty dry summer that, that's that's for sure not not as much rain as you would uh, normally expect it's funny here we're getting flooding because I mean like we get these rainstorms that are just like just dumps down gallons of rain at, at a time you know like so like your backyard will flood and then and then and that's gone but like in some of the places like downtown Toronto where they have all these underground paths and stuff like that and the subways and things like that they're, they've been filling up with water as well right all the storm and it's just like all of a sudden all this water just dumps down and I guess 
that runs across the city and collects in these these low air, low lying areas, right? Like there's pictures online of so we have some underpasses that go underneath railway tracks and stuff like that, and you'll see like streetcars like up to their up to the windows in in water, right? So just stuck, and it's just it's just all of a sudden this is the and they're saying this is what our weather, our summer rain is going to be like from now on, right? So just these these crazy thunderstorms in the middle of the summer, right? There's no climate change. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> oh, of course not. Of course yeah. not. Oh, fake news. So what else is going on? Not much going on in the world of Apple, I guess, right? We're waiting. Are we waiting for an announcement like to be set up in the first, second week of September? Is that what we're waiting for? Yeah, we haven't seen yeah, the invite yet. a couple of announcements coming up. Hmm. We just had earnings. Right. Um, so, yeah, any day now we should be hearing about the, there should be an iPhone announcement. There should be a, apparently there's going to be an Apple Watch announcement. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that was first announced in October, the Apple Watch, right? Mm. Maybe they'll do them at the same time. Yeah, I don't know. We're still waiting for that uh, HomePod 2 to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that had surprisingly good sales at the earnings call, right? The, the HomePod. Did it? I don't know. I didn't uh, dig that deeply into it. Yeah, I vaguely remember it was, well, we looked at some numbers and they seemed to be better than we anticipated, right? Mm. Yeah, considering we saw that thing about selling one per day or something. <laughs> yeah. one, per day, one per store per day, something like that. Right, right yeah, yeah. Um, I was up with stock price doing today. I know, it, it's sort of funny seeing the analysis go through where, remember, not that long ago, it was, oh my God, Apple's doomed because the iPhone 10 is is not selling well. In fact, it's doing right. so poorly, they're just going to cancel it. And now it's, oh, um, actually, it did so well that Apple is equally doomed because nobody's going to buy an iPhone in the fall since the iPhone ten has pulled demand forward into last year. Right. Yeah. Well, Apple stock's like, what, up to 15 or something like that today? Yeah, it hit 217 a couple days yeah, ago. Yeah, that's pretty high. Yeah, even after that Facebook dip, dip right? So how's Facebook doing? Yeah, Facebook's up. They they had that, remember they had that, that um, oh no, they're not up. They were they were up around 217. They're now at uh, 173. So they're quite a bit low, lower. So in July, a month ago, they were at uh, 217 and they dropped down to 173. Hmm. How's Twitter doing? Oh, they're just moving along. Yeah, that, that, uh, that ski slope seemed to uh, affect Twitter as well. I wonder why Apple got away with that. I guess Apple's not, you know, playing with people's privacy, so they, they didn't have that big drop, right? Yeah, they're definitely coming out a little bit cleaner than, I mean, because they, I mean, we talked about the fact that they had um, pulled most of the podcasts for the InfoWars folks. Yeah. And I think we talked about the fact that Apple doesn't quite have that same relationship with uh, advertisers and communities as Facebook, Twitter, and right. Google via YouTube. Right. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, but is, is Twitter still published that guy's stuff, right? Aren't they? So it might have changed since then, but um, after sort of really, really dropping the ball in terms of, you know, you had an easy opportunity. Everybody else was was banning this guy. Go ahead and ban him too. They held their ground. I'm sure everybody was pointing out how stupid that was. Yeah. And then they just waited for some little thing because I'm, I'm sure they said, all right, look, we, we didn't ban him before, but just, just wait like two days and surely he will do something that violates our terms of service. And yep, they jumped on it as soon as they could. Oh, yeah? But sort of reactively and, and after the fact and after, um, you know, all the bad PR has come out about it, right. you know, regardless of uh, what you think about their responsibilities as a platform or as, uh, you know, folks who like to, to think very highly themselves, um, th- they just dropped it like completely. Like the, you couldn't drop the ball any further. It would be in the center of the earth. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Craziness. It's got people all excited on Twitter about, um, oh, well, simultaneously, there's also the fact that the APIs were finally cut off for like push notifications and other things for third parties. I forget what it is we said. That Facebook it was. or Twitter? Yeah, Twitter. Oh, yeah. Um, so I forget what the third party ones are. Like Twitterific, I'm going to yeah, say, is probably yeah. still around. Like they, they lost the ability to do push notification stuff. So they're basically just polling to see when you have new content now, which is an okay workaround, I guess. Yeah. But um, the combination of that plus the InfoWars thing has caused a, a resurgence of people all over the interwebs and in blogs and tweets and podcasts talking about, oh, like, I'm moving to Mastodon. I'm doing stuff. Yeah, I was going to mention it. I was going to ask you about Mastodon because, cause, you know, I discovered it last year when we were talking last. Yeah, last year we were talking about it at 360i dev, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's I don't know, I, I, I'm still a little flummoxed about how to use it. I don't, I don't see that it's, you know, an easy Twitter replacement. So that's yeah. a good that's a good description of it, Tim, because I was about to say, what if you had app.net but made it even more difficult to get started? <laughs> <laughs> now, how much would you pay? <laughs> yeah. Are you on Mastodon? I'm not. And You're not? No. Yeah, I uh, am. After, after going through this exercise on app.net, I'm going to wait until it's, you know, until I look foolish for not being on it because... Yeah, um, I don't know. That, it, is there, is there, have you heard, is there an iOS client? They, like, they don't have one, whoever runs Mastodon, right? Or that I've seen, anyway. It's like a whole federated thing, so I assume it's sort of like getting um, like a domain name and getting an, an email address at a domain name where it's it's portable just about everywhere you might want to be, but also doesn't benefit from the nice things that centralization give you, like... So, Mastodon that social is is an instance of it, or I'm probably the wrong person to ask for that because I'm almost certainly going to get it wrong. But I think it might be um, like a directory system, perhaps to to the other federated systems, right? Kind of right. thinking yeah, about. I've heard, like, I've heard people. You, I think you can run your own instance of it if you want, like you can, and then join the network or whatever, right? Like a yeah, web server and and, and there must be some sort of portability of like your your information. Otherwise, it would be like how, how is this any different than just having your own blog and letting people or your own BBS forum and letting people yeah. post there. I, there. There must be something that's a little bit easier than uh, than I'm making it sound like, but it's also still not quite as easy as just sign up for a Twitter account and go and follow Justin Bieber and Lady Gaga and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, here, look, so let's let's look at this. So I've got, um, so I've joined it. I joined it last year and I've got Carl from Taco is following me. James Thompson follows me. Uh, some guy named John Fricker, Gazola, Rene Fukwey. He's uh, one of our listeners on the show. Gene McDonald, Tom Harrington, and uh, let's see. Ish is following me. Ash Furrow is following me. And Jorge Ortiz is following me. So, yeah. woo <laughs> Yeah, so I think I'm, I'm like I said, I'm gonna think I'm gonna wait this one out and you know see that it gets to some critical mass and then say, all right, I'm starting to look foolish now for not being on Mastodon and, and get started then. Yeah. Or if I wait long enough, maybe it ends up going away like App.net. Right? Like there's, if if it exists at all, uh, App.net. That is, there's almost certainly somebody masquerading as me right now. Just <laughs> because. I'm not posting on there anymore. Yeah, so it's kind of weird because like there's this there's this group local timeline you can look at, and it's basically just you know everybody. I don't know what local means, like what local to me, local like within my vicinity, but it's just like a stream of like craziness, right? And there's a world feed, there's that federated timeline. The federated timeline is just like I guess everybody around the world. There's a lot of Chinese and you know foreign language content coming up, and, and it's just constantly flying by, right? Like I don't even know how you can follow it. Some guy named Fiesel Zappa. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's not uh, 
I have my home feed, I guess. That's, that's what I've got. I see a lot of tweets here from Ash Furrow. He seems to be pretty active. <laughs> but yeah, not much not much happening over here yet. But I think, like you said, I've, I've seen a few people on, on my Twitter say that uh, there's uh, not a lot of... Like, they're, they're hedging their bets too, right? They're waiting to see. It's yeah, I feel like we should ask Greg if he's on Mastodon or not. Yeah, yeah. That'll be my, my bellwether. Yeah. Well, you were at 360i, Devin. You didn't even sign up last year, right? Because that's when um, uh, Jay... What is his name? The guy behind Cydia did that talk. Oh, right. Um, I'm sure I could look it up, but I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because he's talking about, you know, why why be on these, you know, open social networks where people, everybody can sort of see a kind of thing, right? Come over to Mastodon. Butter's fine. Butter's fine, I guess. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I haven't created an MTJC uh, identity over there yet. I don't know if you can do that on Mastodon. I don't know how you, if you can do companies or whatever. It's just has to be individuals or what have you. I guess you can, right? Hmm, that would be kind of interesting because it, it just feels like this ends up running into all the same problems that Facebook and Twitter have faced where, yeah. okay, do you need to use your real identity? There's pros for it. There's cons against it. Yeah. Uh, can you do, you know, company or group type stuff? You know, is that an identity that's allowed? And you just talked about your your timeline, such as it is being somewhat weird to you. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll be like, well, what if we surfaced, you know, things we thought were more important to you? Right. And then you're a hop, skip, and a jump away to a fully algorithmic timeline. And then people are getting really angry at how it's getting abused. So then they got to try to fix that. And then they're banning people. And then... Somebody creates, I don't know, mammoth.social as a way to, to counteract <laughs> yeah. that and just fragments further. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like Ashro hasn't been here for four, on Twitter in four days. I guess he's he's gone over to Mastodon. I don't know. It's a bit like, uh, what's that, um, uh, Amsterdam, you know, sort of idea. Like, let's, just, let's go over here and start a whole new world, right? It sounds good. Like, you can make a utopia. And then, like, the, the first 80% of the stuff you would need to do is, is relatively low-hanging fruit. It's relatively straightforward to get done. Not to say that it's not a lot of work and that there aren't challenges, but it's that final 20%, maybe that final 10%. That's like, okay, that's the real follow, killer. Or hey, back. I'll follow back some people and see if I get any action out of their, out of their connections here. Follows me. How do I follow her? I've added all these people. I'm not following them and I still see no action on my, on my timeline. <laughs> It's going really well, I think, Jaime, for you know, first week. Although I've been on it for a year. <laughs> Sigh. I did post I think my... people are really just going to find out that technology isn't really the problem. Uh, certainly, it doesn't help in some cases. You know, certain product directions that uh, Facebook and Twitter and Google and stuff have made. Mm-hmm. It's really people that are the main problem. And all you can do is just sort of create all new and exciting ways for people to be terrible to each other. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's funny. I don't know. I don't know, like what, like your senior people of your family are like but um you know i've been talking to a few people on facebook and stuff like that and, and none of them are on twitter that i that i can find you know like you know they're on instagram they're on facebook but uh this seems to be this uh, this stigma about social networks that people just kind of avoid them right they just don't bother with them but then that may be a generational thing right like i don't know Mark, what do you what about your friends and stuff like that are, are they all on these things at all, as, as well or? very few people that i know use any of that stuff very few people yeah yep yep seems to be bigger the further east you go it's i mean twitter twitter was huge around here like 10 years ago oh yeah yeah and now nobody i know uses it right right and facebook certainly in my opinion so, gone downhill yeah. big time at least since i joined it anyway lately it's been really hard to use but yeah it's disappointing so Jaime, what about you? Like, do your do your colleagues and friends use it, or use the use the networks? To varying degrees, it's it's in between. There's some folks who are on all the time, it seems, and others who seem to be using it largely as I do, mostly read only, occasionally.
occasional yeah. upload some photos or um, post some interesting article. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd be curious to find out how many of our um, our uh, listeners actually find us through on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, Facebook, I would say very few, but Twitter, I wonder. Or do they just? How do, how, I'm, I'm curious how people found the podcast. You know, if they weren't using social networks to do it, because I mean, we don't get a lot of traffic on our website per se. Maybe through iTunes. Yeah, I don't know. Or word of yeah, if you maybe. search for iOS development, still number one. Yeah, yeah. But what? what but it's, think about it though. If you were looking for a podcast, is that how you would look for it? Would Not you? really. No, I would probably search on Google. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happens on Google if you type in uh, podcast iOS development or iOS podcast? Oh, that's going to be a hard one because it's going to show you results that are relevant to you. Yeah, you think? And if you're signed in like I am, it's almost certainly going to oh, show yeah. ours. Let's see. Ten best podcasts for iPhone users. Best iOS podcast for iOS developers. Let's see what it got, what we got in here. Medium article. Under the radar. Inside iOS dev. iOS mm-hmm. dev break. Swift by Sandel. Yep. More Let's than just code. <laughs> Swift unwrapped. Swift coders. iFreaks. Worst case scenario. Learn Swift podcast. Release notes. Fireside. Com Podcast. Shared instance. Fatal error. Accidental tech. iDeveloper podcast. Super top podcast. Consult podcast. The talk show with John Gruber. Build phase. App Guy, App Store. And this is from, when is this from? Uh, it doesn't say. Hmm. I thought Medium, would, oh, March 1st. Is that, I guess that's this March 1st. Well, there you go. We showed up there. Yeah, maybe this is how people find us. They, they do a search and then they, they get this sort of thing. Here's another one from uh, Swift with Justin. My favorite iOS podcast. Oh, top pick. Mark Morton just called. Woo! <laughs> Hooray. Under the radar. We got to thank these people. IOS. I think IOS is gone, right? Or stop publishing. Least notes. Core intuition. So. Honorable mentions. Ray Wonder com concepts and code cool let's tweet this guy i should do it as more than just code no i can't do it as more than just code i hate, hate this tool all right we'll just tweet it there we go all right that's one that's the last one i just looked at medium right so you can go in there and thank thank these tweet people let me <laughs> medium have a tweet button on their thing nice they do here on twitter oh it's just a little shame we're just actually doing research on this right great podcasts for ios developers number three what did you find when you did the search or did you do the search um the i don't know how to describe this like the call out for it was that best ios development podcast for app developers, probably mm-hmm. the same one that you're looking at. Yeah, I see that one. It's like number five on my list. So I got one from Mike Bus here, and or Boos here, and it's Core Intuition, NS Brief, Accidental Tech, Developing Perspectives, iFreaks, Springboard, iOS, App Story, Discontinue. Oh, then he's got listed Discontinued. Yeah, look at the look at the date or the it's 2014. The URL. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. So yes, yeah, like before we even started. So yeah, okay, bad choice. But here's one from Player FM. What does one bring up? Have you got any results there, Jaime? Other than what I'm talking about. Let's see. Here's another one. This is a a user on GitHub, Vermont 42, mm-hmm. podcast repo. Person is from California, and we show up. Oh, this is in alphabetical order, so it's hard to say which what number we are. Well, I found another oh. one here called Player FM Podcast. I don't even know who they are. It's like a player, like a podcaster, podcatcher, and we're listed number one there, along with uh, iOS Dev Break. This one's pretty nice in terms of the way it breaks things down. It says, well, it's interesting. When I click on Player FM, we're not listed at all. Really? Yeah. 2018, that link? Best iOS podcast 2018. Player.fm slash podcast slash iOS. Oh, so what, what search did you criteria? I put in, I put iOS dev podcast in my Google. Oh, I just put an iOS podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, iOS is just going to give you devices, right? Well, it gave me that uh, previous one, best podcast for Mac for app developers. Here's one on Quora. Question is, what are the best podcasts for iOS developments? Under the Radar, iOS dev podcast, iOS dev break, Swift by Sundell, and Swift coders. Oh, well, didn't make that list. When I type in iOS dev podcast, the mic bus 
this one shows up first, yeah. and he didn't list us. Well, it's because that's March 14, 2014. We, were, we didn't exist then. We weren't even a glint in that's Jaime's true. parents' eyes at that point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that My Favorite, spelled with a U, iOS Development Podcast Ooh. by Swift with Justin, where we're first. Yeah, I saw that one. So here's another one. Global. Although he says in no particular order. Here's one. Global Nerdy, Joey Villa's Tech Mobile a List of iOS Development Progress, September 2016th edition. So this is two years old, and he's got the App Guy podcast, App Masters, Build Phase, Concepts and Code, Core Intuition, it's alphabetical, iOS Bytes, iOS, iOS, iFreaks, More Than Just Code podcast, Ray podcast, Re- Release Notes, and Under the Radar. So we were on the list in 2016. We didn't even know about mm. what do you know? This one that I'm looking at, it's a GitHub users list, has an interesting stat here. It has average length for these various podcasts. This the GitHub Vermont 42. Yeah. yeah. It says our average length is one hour, 31 minutes, and 26 seconds. Hmm. That's good to know. Accidental Tech is 139. All things get... Oh, this is alphabetical, right? But we're on the list, though. That's good. We're on the list. Woohoo! That's all that matters. So now i got to try and see if I, can, if I can keep the average up. <laughs> <laughs> I think the longest one I've seen so far is the talk show, which is an hour 56... What is it? Hour 56 and 40 seconds. Yeah, I think I think we've had one or two episodes that were that long right yeah. around there. Greg was all excited once because I think I think one time our after sh- our after show was longer than the actual show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's cool. All right. Speaking of, speaking of that, we're approaching two hours now. All right, so we should we should duck so out. I think I'm going to head off. Head off into the sunset. All right, folks, we'll talk to yep. you guys later. All right, talk to you later. Bye. 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 Have fun in Denver, Tim. I'll try. <laughs> talk to you later.